right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I am recording this, following the Milwaukee Bucks win over the Atlanta Hawks. They go up 3-2 in their Eastern Conference Finals series. Uh, on Wednesday nights, the Phoenix Suns, they clinched an NBA Finals berth. So whoever wins between the Bucks and the Hawks will meet the Suns in the finals. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it at the beginning of the season? That is not something that I uh, that I expected. And uh, we'll see what happens with this Eastern Conference Finals. It's certainly not over. Trey Young could potentially be back for Game 6, and that would change things for sure. But the Bucks looked like they figured some things out. So there is something to be said for that. And whether they can close it out. So I'm I'm very curious to see how that goes. And we'll be able to talk about that over the weekend. But for now, uh, I want to say a big thank you at the beginning of this episode. Uh, just crossed the 100 rating threshold for the podcast. Uh, I'm at 103 right now. There are like 40 reviews that are all five stars. If you've seen the the ratings on pickaxe and roll on Apple podcasts, which you could do if you'd like, uh, they're all basically five stars. Every, every rating has been basically five stars and it means the world to have the support that I do from this group. I moved over from the Denver stiffs podcast network and went independent and partnered up with Nate Lundy, uh, over at Mile High Sports, and our partnership has been great, and we've really expanded this thing and hope to continue to do so over the course of this time. So thank you so much for all the love. It's it's meant the world, and by doing so, I, I've, I've been in a much better life situation because of it, and it wouldn't be possible without you guys, so thank you so much. Now I'm about to make everybody mad, especially Nuggets fans that are big fans of Michael Porter Jr., uh, this podcast is going to be exclusively about Michael Porter and the max extension that he is going to be either offered or not offered when free agency hits in a couple months from now. August 2nd is the, the day that free agency opens in the NBA this year. Actually, oh yeah, so it's in a month. Um, today is July 1st. When I'm recording this, it'll be July 2nd tomorrow uh, when you listen to this. And what I think is very fascinating about this discussion is just how big of an extension it is for a team that has already had big extensions for two young players themselves. Very few teams get this opportunity. Very few teams are able to extend the young players that they drafted and are able to do so, uh, it just doesn't really happen like that to have three guys that really deserve that money, uh, that, that, and then you give them all that money and then everybody's usually pretty happy about it. It's a pretty standard process at that point. So looking around the NBA, the last team that I can really remember doing that is the Washington Wizards with John Wall. Bradley Beal and uh, and Otto Porter. Obviously, that's not the example that people think of when they think of oh man the the historical comps for the Nuggets. But 
the Wizards drafted all those guys over the course of, um, I think they drafted Otto Porter 2013. So they drafted John Wall 2010, Beal in 2012, Porter in, in 2013. And they gave all of those guys big contracts. Uh, if you remember the, the Otto Porter extension, uh, it was actually, they took it to restricted free agency. And then you got a big, massive deal from the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, and that basically tanked the Washington Wizards when they matched that deal. So this is not the Washington Wizards. Nikola Jokic is a better player than any of those guys. And Jamal Murray has shown that at his ceiling, he's a better player than any of those guys too. So I think it is important to note that we're start we're already starting it from as Nuggets fans, starting from a position of strength here. The Nuggets have a great foundation, a championship caliber foundation based off of their MVP. And I also want to make it clear that I am not recommending doing a bunch of different things, trading Michael Porter Jr. for scraps because of the the big money. I am here to just inform, uh, to make sure that everybody understands the how big this decision is for Denver, and to sort of go through the details so that everybody can appreciate it along with me, that when the Nuggets, they're, they're probably going to offer Michael Porter a max. It's about five years, $168 million, $166 million, whatever. They're probably going to offer that. Kicks in in 22-23, and Denver will be set with their big three. And that's great. That's what happens when you draft such excellent players. Very few teams get that opportunity. It's just so rare, and it's just such a big deal um, for a bunch of players to be averaging $30 million annually. So I wanted to start off by talking about this. I heard from people that some people say that Michael Porter doesn't deserve a max contract, that because of his defense, because of the, the weaknesses in his game, that he doesn't necessarily deserve that amount of money. And so I equate it with about $30 million. If it's five years, $165 million, it's on average $33 million. So let's start the threshold at $30 million. How many players in the NBA do you think average $30 million annually? All of the money at that point is, is just pretty similar. There are different levels to it, of course, like $40 million is definitely different than $30 million, but is $31 that much different from $34? No. The answer to how many players average $30 million annually is 39 total players based off of extensions that have been signed, based off of contracts that have been signed, and based off of what people are expected to get. Just looking at looking it up on SpotTrack, uh, it's about 39 players. Number one is Giannis because of the Supermax that he just signed at $45 million annually. Number 39 the bottom of that list is Gordon Hayward, who averages $30 million annually, signed to that deal by the Charlotte Hornets this past offseason. Tied for 40 are three players. Andrew Wiggins at 29.5, Joel Embiid at 29.5, and Nikola Jokic at 29.5. So, there are great players even ones that are pretty close to max 
that don't always like there's some some players are good and they get the max some players are great and they get the max you just have to kind of figure out the the average annual value there and know that once you reach a certain threshold everybody's going to be making the max here are some players that are in the top 26 in the NBA in average annual value for their contracts CJ McCollum who the Nuggets just beat and he looked pretty bad. Pascal Siakam, who the Raptors thought would be their number one option and it just doesn't look like he can handle that. And Tobias Harris, who didn't make an all-star team this past year. His father got mad that he didn't make the all-star team, made a big, big stink about it on Twitter. And then when Ben Simmons couldn't handle it, Tobias Harris couldn't either. Couldn't step up in his place and help out Joel Embiid to advance past the Atlanta Hawks. You don't have to be an all-star every year to be worth a max deal, to be paid like a max player. It all depends on the situation, the fit, and then most importantly, how things work in the playoffs. Can you be a playoff player? It's important questions. And the one that the Nuggets... And Nuggets fans need to ask themselves is, can Michael Porter Jr. outperform those players in his prime? Guys like CJ McCollum, Pascal Siakam, Tobias Harris. I think for a lot of Nuggets fans, the easy answer is yes, of course he can. He just turned 23. He's going to be in his prime. By the time he's 26, he may be averaging 27 points, 30 points, something absurd. And you might be right. You also might be wrong. He might stagnate at this point, not being able to figure out how to dribble. And he might just be a perpetual 19-7 and guy who shoots the ball very efficiently off the catch, but can't really do much beyond that. I don't think that's what's going to happen. And if he is at that level, he's probably about the 35th or 40th best player in the NBA-ish. So maybe you're fine still giving him a max at that point. But there is a possibility that he doesn't continue to improve. And the Nuggets have to weigh that. Now they know, statistically, based off of what they believe he's going to do, based off of how he's going to develop, he's probably not Ben Simmons. He's probably not somebody who's just going to stagnate. Michael Porter's a workhorse. He wants to get better. He wants to be the best. So he's going to keep working on his game. Try to shore up those weaknesses as much as he can. It's very possible he's averaging 22 to 24 points next year, 7 rebounds per game, and doing it on similar efficiency, 50-40-80. If you're doing that, you might be an all-star caliber player at that point. Somebody in the top 25 in the NBA. At which point, you're definitely qualified to be a max player. However, it is also fair to ask the playoff-related questions about Michael Porter Jr.'s effectiveness, his production, his ability to impact the game. This past year, in the playoffs, these last 10 games, he averaged 17.4 points. 6.2 rebounds, and 1.3 assists on efficient shooting, but limited attempts as a second option. In the three games that Will Barton came back, 
he actually averaged more shot attempts than Porter. And I don't put that as a Will Barton is being selfish thing. Like, there's no way in hell that I'm doing that. The problem was that Porter wasn't able to get off shots. He wasn't able to create space for himself and didn't want to take just heavily contested jumpers the entire time because that's not good. That's not healthy. Now, he did shoot efficiently. And if he continues to get better, then maybe this is just the the tip of the iceberg. Maybe you're talking about somebody who's 25, 8, and 4 on similar efficiency, similarly elite efficiency. And maybe that's good enough. But it's also fair to question whether he improves defensively or not. Here are some numbers on Denver's defense when Jokic and Porter were out there. With just related to Porter, he had a 123.2 defensive rating in the playoffs. That is atrocious. Jokic's was even worse at 123.5, but here's the rub. When both of them were on the floor, their defensive rating was 124.5, so it became even worse when they were both out there. When it was just Porter out there, 117.1. When it was just Jokic, 115.7. When it was neither of them, 109.4. Denver has defensive questions when those guys are both out there. And if they're both going to be max players who are playing 35, 36, 40 minutes a night, then they're going to overlap at various points. So is the offense going to be good enough that it can just survive that? Maybe. Can the Nuggets defend and improve on that end with Jokic and Porter out there? I think that they can, but when you're paying both of them max contracts, it is a fair concern. And Porter's going to need to improve there. Jokic already is the MVP. I'm not going to ask him to, like, you You want to see him continue to improve marginally, continue to improve the conditioning, the ability to play hard on both ends as much as possible. But given how much he has to do, it should be on Porter to improve on the defensive end. So he's got to. Especially if he's going to be a max contract player. Because... Denver's not going to be able to fill in the gaps in their roster with really great players when all three of Porter, Jokic, and Murray are on the max. You've got to continue to find P.J. Dozier's, Monte Morris's, even lower than that, like Austin Rivers, guys who are going to be efficient on rookie contracts like Zeke Naji. If he can be a great defensive piece, then great. But can Tim Connolly continue to draft elite defensive players? Not elite, because Zeke Naji isn't elite. He could be good. Can Tim Connolly continue to draft good defensive players that are so young in the league? Or is Denver just going to have to go to the veteran scrap heap and try to just scrounge their way to a quality defense? Because the foundation that they set if it's Jokic, Murray, and Porter, is going to be an offensive foundation, not a defensive one. 
So it's going to be difficult. I think that you can form a good defense around Jokic and Porter, but it also could take some staggering. It also could take some uh, concessions. Maybe you have to move somebody else that you didn't think you would have to, like Amante Morris, for example. Maybe you need to move him for the equivalent of his offensive ability on the defensive end, somebody who fits well in that gap. Those are the kinds of things you have to think about. At their ceiling, I do think that the Nuggets can win a title with this core, so I'm perfectly fine if they offer Porter this extension. For one thing, you don't just want to lose out on him. You don't want to lose, like, if if you're going to, like, you have to trade him if you're going to not keep him. You can't just let him go. You can't let a talent like this walk out the door. So, I don't think that we're going to get to that point. I think that the extension is going to happen, and I believe in the talent that Denver has to make it work. But this is a big deal. This is a very fair criticism to have. And these are just honest evaluations of what the Nuggets are, who they can be, and how they need to continue to surround these guys in order to be championship caliber. Because they got swept by the team that's in the, in the NBA Finals this year. So they weren't close. If Murray's back and healthy, he probably changes things. I think you probably could send this team to a title. But the defensive concerns still would have existed. Denver may not have been able to stop the Suns. It's going to be tough. This is a big deal. And the Nuggets are going to treat it that way. They're going to approach this from every angle. They may find that the max contract is the right thing to offer. But here's what I want to do. In the next segment, I want to talk about what happens if they don't offer him the deal. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Back here, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. This is a big time for Denver. And as I've talked about in these first 20 minutes of this podcast, uh, it's a franchise pivot moment for this Nuggets team. Because Jokic and Murray, they're locked in. Uh, I assume that Denver is going to give Jokic a supermax when he becomes available to do so next year, assuming he wants to be back. If you do sign a third max, this limits their flexibility in order to surround Jokic and Murray with the proper pieces. If they commit to MPJ, that means that they're going to commit to this core to win a championship. And they have to build around that with that in mind. That that's just, you have to build with knowing that Murray's going to play 36, Jokic is going to play 36 to 40, Porter's going to play 36 to 40. And we're they just got to go from there. Just got to figure out how to piece the right team together around them in that regard. So here's the thing. If they max him, here's the financial situation. Next year, uh, 2022, 2023, 
the Nuggets will have 91 million committed to Jokic, Murray, and Porter alone. The estimated salary cap at this point, from what I can see, be about 115.3 million. Maybe you go up to 116, something like that. So 91 million to three players, 25 million in flexibility to surround the team in the proper way. Maybe you use that with Aaron Gordon. You've already got Monte Morris locked in. Uh, from what I understand, like by the looks of things based off of their roster right now, they would only have Jokic, Murray, Porter, Monte Morris, and Zeke Naji locked in. So there is some flexibility. There is some optionality there. They might want to lock in Aaron Gordon. They might want to lock in Will Barton, PJ Dozier, guys like that. Everybody that you need to kind of surround your core. It can't just be three, four, five players. So Denver's not going to be able to go out and sign a big name unless they decide to give up a whole bunch of people. That's how it works. They might not be able to sign anybody at all if they extend Aaron Gordon, if they sign Will Barton to a new contract, if they bring back Jamichael Green, uh, if they sign P.J. Dozier, whatever. So that's what it means. That's what it means for that coming season. And then in the following season, 2023-2024, you have $106 million between the big three, Jokic, Murray, and Porter, because Jokic would get a big pay bump if he signs the Supermax. You hope that he does. That's the big deal. So you better be right. You better be right about this decision. You know you're right about Jokic. You know you're right about Murray. Don't think there are any questions about those two anymore, other than whether Murray can come back from his ACL injury, and I, I don't see any reason why he can't. But you better be right if they're handing out this max. They could also trade Porter up a year from now or a year from when they signed the deal if they were to extend him this offseason. Like, let's say they hand him the, the full max, the full boat. Five years, 168, something like that. About 33 million, 34 million in average annual salary. But then once you clear a full year, if a team was interested in acquiring him at that point, knowing that he was going to be on a max deal, then they certainly could. And Denver could trade him after a year, after a calendar year. So that is something that they could do. If they don't max Porter, they choose in a month, August 2nd, if they don't just hand him the full max and they try to take it to the, the deadline, let's say he doesn't agree, let's say he's just holding out for the full max and they don't give it to him, I see four different options. First option, you play it out, you take it to restricted free agency next year, and that might actually be the right call. Given the injury risks that he has, you get to see him as a second option for a long time while Murray's waking, he's working his way back. Uh, 
you get to see him for another playoff run before fully committing. It could piss him off. And it could piss his agent off. They could pull a Gordon Hayward and decide that the, or an Otto Porter, frankly. And they decide that they want to sign a four-year max somewhere with another team that has a no-trade or a, a trade kicker of 15% and a player option in the fourth year. That is the ugly deal. It only gives you team control for three years at that point. And Denver would be forced to max that contract, keep him around. And then if they wanted to keep him for the full length of that, they'd have to decide on him a year earlier, potentially two years earlier, than if they gave him the max right now. Because if you give him the full boat max, you might be able to knock off the player option, like they did with Jamal Murray, like they did with Nikola Jokic. You say, hey, we'll give you the full boat max, but we want you to not give up the player option and let us just do a full five years. You might be able to get that, in which case you don't have to decide. And Porter doesn't have the luxury to be able to like ask out after year one, year two, because his the clock wouldn't be running as quickly. That's option one, is to play it out take it to restricted free agency, and sign whatever deal is necessary. Number two, you play it out to restricted free agency, and you either let him walk or you do a sign and trade. I don't like the idea of letting him walk. I think that's dumb. I think if you've got a guy like this who's capable of being a multi-time all-star, maybe even a superstar, you don't let him walk. You do a sign and trade at that point, and you try to get compensation back. You don't have to commit to him long-term in that case if you have to. If you have concerns, if you're the Nuggets, you don't have to like go full boat. But you're going to get less compensation back that way because the, t- the clock is ticking at that point. And teams, they would only get a four-year contract so as opposed to a five-year deal, so they wouldn't be able to pay as much or wouldn't want to pay as much. And you're not maximizing the value there. And if you're the Nuggets, if you're trying to win a title, You have to maximize value everywhere. You can't let one thing slip. If you let too many things slip, you'll never get it. Ever. Number three. You play it out and you sign him to his next contract with the intention of flipping him later on. Sort of similar to number one where you just take it to restricted free agency Uh, But if you're the team that signs him, you could sign him to five years. You could give him that full max at that point. And just basically say, hey, we just wanted to see you. We wanted to see what happens. And we're going to give you the the five-year max, 8% raises. We'll even give you the player option at the end of it, if that's what you like. But then you could have the intention of flipping him. You don't necessarily have to keep him around the entire time, but you have him under contract at that point. And teams will be able to, if you were to trade, they'd be trading from a you'd be trading from a position of strength at that point because Porter's on a long-term deal. He's not coming like like he is not expiring immediately, which would be good. You don't want to lose a player for nothing like him, so maybe if you're just biding the time for a right deal, that's probably the right call. 
That's if you don't commit to this big, this big three with Jokic, Murray, and Porter. If you don't think that that's the right fit, or maybe you think it's the right fit and you don't necessarily like you had questions at the beginning, so you didn't sign him initially, but you sign him, you think it's good, people become unhappy, you realize, okay, hey, Jokic might walk away if we don't if we don't move this guy. Murray might walk away if we don't move this guy. Then maybe you have to make those hard decisions down the line. But I still think that you're just biding your time at that point. You're trying to make the right deal. You're trying to do the right thing as as the general manager of this team if, or president of basketball operations of this team if you're Tim Connolly. Uh, and maybe that's the right course. I don't think it is, but maybe it is. And then number four, last one. You trade him this offseason before he's on his long-term deal and you have that team negotiate with him at that point. You trade him on his in the in this offseason while he's still on a rookie rookie scale contract. Basically what that does is it changes the landscape of teams that will value him at different points. Teams might value him differently if he's on a 5 uh, a 5 million dollar contract heading into restricted free agency than they would if he was on a full five-year max, especially given his back, given a lot of the questions that he has about developing as a player. It's very possible that teams might be more willing to talk to Denver if they could then negotiate with him afterwards. Maybe they feel like they could knock it down a little bit. In this case, Denver would be maximizing his value. They would be, at least in this stage, you'd be trying to find a way to find the best situation for Jokic and Murray. And I think that there's at least an argument that you can find a better fit out there, especially one that's a little bit better defensively. You find the best possible match. You try to go win a title with that group with whoever you get back. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, maybe you regret it. If that's the case, that's tough. But all of these approaches, all of them are affected by trying to maximize the roster. From a talent and a fit perspective, you want to make sure that you're getting the very most out of your players, out of the team that you've assembled, trying to see if they can win a title. You're also trying to get Jokic to sign the Supermax. You're also trying to evaluate what makes the most sense with Murray's timetable for recovery. Is he due back in February? Is he due back in April? Does Denver need another ball handler? Somebody that they can trust? They were running considerably low on those ball handlers in these playoffs without Murray. So maybe there's something to be said for adding another one. I don't think Porter's that guy. He might turn into that guy, but it's going to take a while. You're also trying to manage the relationships. Jokic, Murray, Porter, the rest of the team, Michael Malone, Tim Connolly. Whatever helps the organization continue to move forward in a positive way. While also trying to make things work. That's the best course of action. You don't want to make things easy for everybody 
by just like sacrificing some talent. Like I think that's what many Nuggets fans fear is that oh we're just going to trade Porter so that the fit makes the most sense. Everybody's happy, but ultimately when you get down to it, Denver just doesn't have enough talent at that point to get past team X, team Y. Maybe that's the case. But there's also a balance between being too talented where it doesn't necessarily fit together in a cohesive unit and not. So Denver has to manage that. They've got to navigate that situation as best as they can. And here's the thing. I don't know which route Denver decides to go if they don't sign him to a max deal. If they don't offer this to him, it opens up a lot of doors. It opens up a lot of situations where doubt creeps in. You don't necessarily feel great about what happens to this roster, what happens to this team. If if you had the opportunity to give Mortar, uh, Porter, Mortar, uh, if you had the opportunity to give Porter a max and you chose not to, then it had to be for a reason. And whatever that reason is, it's going to be held over the team for a lot. So that is another reason why I don't think they go this route. It's why I think they just offer him the max, be done with it, and trust their talent, trust their coaching, trust their development. That's what I think that they will do. But we will see. We will see. Final segment after the break, we're going to talk about that if the Nuggets did decide to trade Michael Porter this this offseason, who slash what could they trade him for? We'll be right back. All right, final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, If you haven't, if you could go download DraftKings, use promo code MHS when you sign up. Uh, They are doing some great deals. Uh, One of their odds boosts for this past game was that Milwaukee was going to be the first team to score. I took it, made some money, uh, got some great, great odds on that. Doing great with DraftKings. They are awesome. They're the sponsor of this podcast, so make sure to go support them. That would be awesome. Uh, again, must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Weird way to do an ad read, but I just decided to do it that way. Thought it would be a unique is what we'll say. Um, let's get into this last segment. If the Nuggets decided they wanted to trade Michael Porter, they decide they don't want to give him the max and that it just isn't the right timing, isn't the right deal, whatever it is, they just decide they're not ready for it, or they just feel like there's a player out there that they can get that makes more sense. Let's talk about who. It's come out in the past that the Nuggets wouldn't trade Porter unless it was for an all-NBA caliber player. Somebody who is up there, somebody who, like, and and to be frank, it might even be just, like, top 15 players. Somebody who's at the very tippy-top of their game. And you look around the landscape of the league, and you think, okay, which team 
could value a 23-year-old sharpshooting wing who's six foot ten, has a long way to go, still growing, still getting better. I think a lot of teams would be very interested in Michael Porter. Even if there are other things that go with it, even if there are back concerns, even if it's possible that he doesn't develop beyond this, most teams would be very interested in a 22, like a player who shot 44% from three at the age of 22. There's a lot to like about that for obvious reasons. So let's talk about the types of players. I think that I'm going to break this into a few categories here MVP caliber players. Players that the Nuggets would be like, they'd be dumb mostly if they decided not to go after these players. All NBA caliber players, guys who have met that criteria before, tippy top of the league in terms of the best first, second, and third options to win a title. There are very few guys that make sense in all of these, but and most of these players are going to be unavailable. We'll talk about all of them. And then young players who are capable of being All-NBA. This is the category that I think is the most ambiguous. I think most people are like, "Eh, I don't know about that. We'll just have to see. But I want to talk about all of those categories separately because I think it breaks down the league a little bit. Breaks down what the Nuggets would be approaching here. So let's get this out of the way. MVP caliber players. That's just not going to happen. LeBron James. Anthony Davis, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Joel Embiid. All six of those guys, you're you're not getting. Like Anthony Davis is going to be locked like like they Rich Paul and and Clutch is going to lock him into Los Angeles as much as they possibly can. It's the best thing for him. Uh LeBron, he's not moving. Steph is not moving. Like he's not coming to Denver. That's just not something that's viable. Kevin Durant, James Harden, they just matched up in Brooklyn. Maybe they decide at a later time that they'd be interested in moving, but not now. They just matched up there. And then Embiid, it's it's not a good fit with Jokic. Like, that's just not going to happen. You never pair those two guys together. All NBA guys. Guys that just won't happen. Carl Anthony Towns. Rudy Gobert. That's positional. Like, just not going to happen. Kyrie Irving. Positional, too similar to Murray. Same as Trey Young. Uh, just it isn't going to happen, and he's untouchable anyway. CP3 and Devin Booker, those guys, they're not leaving Phoenix at this point. I can't imagine. Like unless like CP3 might decide he wants to go to New York or something like that, but he's not going to Denver. Very much doubt it. Donovan Mitchell, he is locked into Utah. Denver had their chance with with Donovan Mitchell previously in the draft. Uh, I can't imagine that they would want to trade Mitchell for Porter. Like, maybe they would. Maybe that's something that they would consider. But I don't think I would. Like, it just there's there's just a lot of questions about that. Jason Tatum, uh, Boston's never letting him go if they can help it. Uh, Bam Adebayo, I think same thing with the Miami Heat. Like, that's just not going to happen. Paul George, I think he's now locked into the Clippers. Like he just signed a max extension there, pretty much. And there's no reason to think that he would leave. 
after they nearly got to the NBA Finals, despite the fact that they didn't have Kawhi. Very impressive stuff. And Zion Williamson is the other one. I don't think it's a good fit. I don't think, like, they're they're going, like, they already fired their head coach so that they wouldn't have to move Zion. They are not just trading him for Michael Porter. Players that aren't good enough, that don't fit, or are too old or risky. Guys like Drew Holiday, who I wanted to add to this core last year. Some people laughed. Most people agreed with me. Uh, some people did want to give up Bull Bull. That was dumb. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, not good enough to give up Porter for. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, it's positional, but also not good enough. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, he's an interesting one because I can actually see it. Like he's made he's made a lot of improvements to his game that I think would be very fascinating for Denver. But I'm I'm not moving Porter for DeRozan. Like it's just not going to happen. Uh, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. I think they're probably just both locked into Golden State, but I wouldn't trade Porter for them anyway. Uh, Draymond would be interesting, but like he also just like similar to Porter in, in injury ways, but Draymond is just older now. He's kind of a ticking time bomb in that regard. I have no idea how he would fit with Yoke. It'd be very weird. Clay Thompson, like Porter's been compared to Clay Thompson a lot, but he's now coming off of an ACL tear and an Achilles tear. Like, I'm not touching that. We'll see what happens when he comes back. And then CJ McCollum, another guy who, a little bit too old, uh, not a great positional fit with Murray. Uh, It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I I wouldn't do it if I were Denver. I think that Denver kind of proved that their MVP candidate plus their second player in Jokic and Porter was better than Portland's MVP player and their second best player in Dame and CJ. So, Equate that how you wish. Uh, I just don't think it's a good idea, especially given the age. Now we move into a different section. The MVP caliber players that almost for sure won't happen. Giannis. uh, He is not leaving Milwaukee. He wants to do this in Milwaukee. Like Maybe maybe that changes down the line, but this summer, it's not going to happen. They are so close to the NBA Finals. It's not going to happen. Luka Doncic, unless he demanded out right now, then it wouldn't make a lot of sense for Denver, or it wouldn't make a lot of sense for Dallas to ever move him, ever. Like, it could be the best player of the league for the next 10 years. Like, I would trade hell and high water to be able to acquire him, but he's just not going to be available. Kawhi Leonard, he's a free agent this year, so... Maybe there's a sign and trade that could be worked out, but I I sincerely doubt it. It's very complicated. I doubt that he'd even want to leave the Clippers. So we'll see. And then the aforementioned Damian Lillard. I've talked about this in previous podcasts. It doesn't make a lot of sense from uh, a positional fit. Murray, Lillard, Jokic might just be good enough to be able to get it done, but it is questionable. It would be pretty tough. All NBA players. That probably won't happen. Like, it's not definite, but probably. Jimmy Butler is going to turn 32 in September. Probably too old. Probably not something that Miami would want to do. Although it would be interesting to see what they would say in a situation like that. Like, if you offered Porter for Butler, would Miami be like, okay, we can refocus our rebuild around 
Tyler Hero, Michael Porter, and Bam Adebayo. That doesn't suck. Those guys are young and they're going to be around for a while. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But I don't think it's going to happen. Jimmy's too old. Uh, He would be a good fit with this team, though. It would be very interesting to see. Bradley Beal, a little bit too pricey. Like, I don't think that the... I don't think that the Wizards would accept that now. I don't think the Beal wants to move anyway. But if he did want to move, I don't think that Denver can cobble together a great deal that makes a lot of sense. They would like at one point they were going to trade Porter and Gary Harris. Uh, That was the rumored package that went around everywhere. Porter, Gary Harris, maybe something else to match salary. But now they'd have to trade Porter and Aaron Gordon and... I just don't know if I like that from Denver's perspective. You just got all this athleticism and length on the wing. Not sure you want to give it up for Beal. I've been pretty firm on that for a while. Julius Randle just got all NBA for uh, New York Knicks. Not a great fit. I don't think it's the right call to bring him in, but he would be in, like, it's not outrageous uh, to think that he might be a good fit. Uh, two bigs. He's somebody that when Jokic is off the floor, you could play him as a fulcrum on the second unit. It'd be interesting, but I'm not like super steezed. And then Chris Middleton. Uh, for the aforementioned Milwaukee Bucks, I doubt that they would ever move Middleton at this point, given what he means to their team. But if Giannis ever decided he wanted to go and Denver couldn't get Giannis, Chris Middleton, he'd be pretty good. He's proven that. He's proven in the playoffs that, especially when he like, when he can find his spots and be comfortable in those spots, he is very, very good. He'd be interesting. Now, final category: high ceiling, young-ish players. Uh, Demontis Sabonis doesn't really fit with Yoke. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, John Morant, they're too small. They don't really fit with Murray. De'Aaron Fox might be able to. He's a little bit bigger, but um, actually, that might not even be true. Uh, They're both very slight. I'm not sure Denver could make it work defensively, but the offense would be great. Ben Simmons. I'm out on Ben Simmons. I think that there was a possibility that he would fit well with Murray and Jokic, and maybe that still exists. Maybe there's still something there, but it just creates a lot of chaos, and I'm just not sure how I would manage that if I were the Nuggets. I think that that's just something like that is a scenario that you don't want to find yourself in and you don't want to blow up your championship window because you traded for Ben Simmons. That'd be tough. Zach Levine, interesting, has had a really good season this past year. He's going to get pretty pricey pretty soon. But he's also like, like there's a decent possibility that he's just like a really great scoring guard in the mold of Devin Booker, who just really broke out this year in the playoffs. Murray's a lot like him, though. I think if you combine Murray and Levine, just not enough defense, not a, not the ability to defend. Jalen Brown. Jalen's very interesting. A lot of Nuggets fans uh, would be, I think they'd be put off by the steal because Jalen Brown just doesn't feel like a guy who's ever going to be a, a superstar and Porter has the potential to do that. 
But Jalen Brown feels like a guy who's going to be a multi-time all-star. Somebody who's very consistent, understands how to play, has really grown his game, high IQ player. I like him. If he were the third option on the Nuggets, Denver's winning a title. That would be my opinion because he's good enough defensively to switch and do all the things that Denver needs. But he's also good enough offensively that if they need him to step up with Murray out, he can do that. If they need him to step up with Jokic out, he's good enough to do that. He proved that on Boston this year. They barely had anybody other than Tatum. Brandon Ingram, similar to Zach Levine, just not enough defense. I don't think it really changes the needle for Denver. Though it would be interesting to see what uh, the Pelicans would say if you offered Porter for Ingram straight up, whether they would take it. Because they need the spacing around Zion. Zion's never going to be a big-time shooter, but Porter can be. Wonder what they would say. Pascal Siakam, I think it kind of goes the other way here. He's more of a four and Denver just acquired Aaron Gordon. It would be pretty tough. Denver could reshape their offense to make it and their defense to make it work. But I it would be very tough at this stage to fit together. Murray, actually, well, they would have to trade Gordon in order to do it. So maybe this is a non-starter. But I'd be very curious to see how Denver handled it. Uh, if they were to offer for Pascal Siakam. I don't think Pascal is good enough to make it work. Porter gives them something dynamic. Not sure that Pascal gives them that level of dynamic upside that they're hoping for. And last one that I want to touch on. Shea Gilgis Alexander. The Oklahoma City Thunder are in a very interesting situation. They just had their lottery plans foiled. They're going to have to continue to kick the can down the road because they didn't get an opportunity to get Cade Cunningham. They are looking to take high-level swings at prospects, at being great in the future. They just acquired Kemba Walker. I wonder what Denver, like, what what would be said between those two teams if this solution, if this, uh, if this scenario was bandied about. Shea Gilgis Alexander from Michael Porter straight up. If you're following me on Twitter, then you know that I tweeted out this scenario, something that was a lot more uh, Thunder-centric than it was Nugget-centric. I don't think that Shea Gilgis Alexander is worth Michael Porter, Monte Morris, Bull Bull, and a first-round pick. Like I think that's way too much for Denver to pay. If they said Michael Porter and Bull Bull, that's different. Because if you're Denver and you can put together a lineup that features Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, insert player here, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic, you have the semblance of a team that can be successful on both ends of the floor. Shea has been very, very good offensively and has really grown his game over the course of the last two years in OKC. He showed some great skills in the with the Clippers, became a very high-caliber performer for the Thunder. And I think he would fit really well within a system like Denver's, where they're doing DHOs, they're doing 
uh, some pick and rolls. Some sometimes they're going to need him to ISO, but most of the time they're just doing a lot of motion, a lot of cutting. He'd be pretty good at that. He's versatile enough to handle different styles as well, while also being a better defender right now than I think Michael Porter might ever be. So there's something to be said for that. It's at least something to think about. So, after all of that, after all of those players that I listed, if you're the Nuggets, if some team offers an MVP caliber player to you and you have to give up Michael Porter and and salary in order to make it happen, then you probably do it. Except if it's possibly Damian Lillard because of his strategic fit with Murray and Jokic. Though I tend to think that that's probably something you can look over and figure out, but that's the toughest one. That's the toughest one of that group. Everybody else that's in the MVP caliber, except for Embiid, Denver would trade Porter for in a heartbeat because like those guys just don't come, they don't come available often. But of the other guys, the all NBA guys and the high ceiling young players, Of the ones that are kind of excluding the untouchable category, I would circle Chris Middleton, Jalen Brown, and Shea. Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Denver's two biggest weaknesses in these playoffs were defense and their playmaking off the dribble. One of those things is solved if Murray is back, but you can never have too much playmaking. Never have too much ability to handle the basketball. And if you got another guy, that helps Murray recover from where he's at right now. It gives Denver a little bit more flexibility. That's something that they should think about. And there's only so much Murray can do when he returns. He's one player, and while he's an excellent player, maybe the sor- maybe the solution is having two guys that can handle the ball. Middleton is likely unavailable after Milwaukee's run. I doubt that the Celtics would decide that Tatum and Porter is their best pairing, is their best idea. Like I doubt that they would seriously consider Jalen Brown like to be an a downgrade. Like I, I think that they consider Jalen Brown an upgrade over Michael Porter. And they would consider Porter to be a downgrade there. So There are situations where I think it might behoove Denver to think of that. Like, I think there's a three-team trade to be worked out with Bradley Beal going to the Celtics, Jalen Brown coming to Denver, and Michael Porter going to Washington. However, you can't just manifest these things. Like, if all three of those teams were interested in that, then maybe it happens, but it's, it's so unlikely. So unlikely. So, it is what it is. But that leaves SGA. That leaves the player who made my timeline, or who, who on my timeline, I made pretty upset today. I believe in the talent of Shea Gilgis Alexander. So I think that, like, if you believe in his talent, then you do it. If not, then you don't. And I think that there's at least an argument to be made. However, if it were up to me, if I were doing this myself, I wouldn't trade Michael Porter Jr. at all. Like, if those teams are offering those deals, 
and the deals are just like too good to pass up, then you have to do it. Don't get me wrong. But those teams are going to try to squeeze every asset out of Denver that they can. They're going to try to make this as difficult and painful as possible. And at that point, I don't think it makes sense. It's so difficult to find a great deal in the NBA. It's so difficult to find the right deal in the NBA. They don't always exist, and both teams have to agree upon it. So, after all of this, after all of this discussion about Michael Porter, I think that by weighing the trade market, by understanding where Denver is at, what makes sense, how they can go forward with this, my belief is that they are just going to offer Michael Porter the max and hope that he accepts. Things get simpler in that regard if he just accepts a max a max offer. Denver then knows, okay, we have our three guys. We have Murray, we have Jokic, we have Porter. We're going to do what we can to surround them in the best way possible, whether that is by finding better defenders, whether that's by finding complementary ball handlers, better rebounding, better switching guys defensively, rim protection, things like that. Denver, if they get to that position, they're going to be okay. They have a fighting chance for an NBA title for years to come. As long as they can continue to cultivate that relationship. I think that they can. I think that they should. I think that based off of the trade market, based off of what you're thinking from a value perspective in terms of upgrading, I don't think Denver would be in a position where a deal that they could make made sense for them and for another team. It just isn't, it isn't out there, in my opinion. Maybe maybe that changes. If you have a deal that you want to throw at me, DM me it on Twitter or not DM. Uh, just just reply to this to this tweet on Twitter or reply in the Denver Stiffs comment section. I'm very curious to see what people think about this because I've done the work. I've done my homework here. I know what Denver's financial situation is going to be. Sort of have an inkling of what the inside situation looks like, and because of those things. I've come to the conclusion that it's probably best for Porter to just get the max from Denver. For Denver to offer that, and for that to be the way that they go. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. We will be back over the weekend. Going to figure out, in all likelihood, who the NBA Finals participants are going to be. I've already seen Phoenix advance. Will Milwaukee do the job in Game 6? I'll be very interested to see and talk about it. We're going to figure out what to talk about over these next few weeks. I'm very curious to see uh, how the news continues to develop. We'll have more guests on. Going to have a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. Thank you so much for the ratings and reviews. You guys are awesome. I'll talk to you guys next week.